Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, please bless my words to be true, to bring forth light onto your scriptures, and please give us ears to hear um, your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The sacramental ministry of the church is an extension of the incarnation. Let me unpack this. The incarnation, in the incarnation, the Son of God, whose dwelling place is heaven, took on the flesh of man, and so took on the place of earth, and in the very person of Jesus Christ, heaven and earth are united forever and ever. Glory to him. He's the only person who's ever been 200% of anything. Right? It's not half and half. He's 100% God and 100% man. The sacramental ministry of the church is an extension of the incarnation. When Christ ascended into heaven on, the, the, on ascension day, he didn't leave just hoping that you know, people would remember him. He sent his Holy Spirit 10 days later to unite his church to him so that the church would itself be a mixture of what is earthly, us, and what is heavenly, his Holy Spirit, here on earth, in us, with us, and through us. And then especially he has empowered those whom he's called to minister in his name with gifts of the Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians 4, 8, when Christ ascended on high, he gave gifts to men, and then it names the gifts, and they're all gifts of ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. So just to be really clear, because I feel a bit sheepish, pre- sheepish preaching on this text, this is not any attempt to glorify the person who inhabits the office. I am just uh, an entirely ordinary human being. But the office is a very significant office that God himself has connected to a heavenly ministration, the office of priest and, and bishop. We, have the, we are familiar with this in other cases, right? The office of president of the United States is a noble office, regardless of the character of the person who inhabits it or not. It's a noble office. This claim that the sacramental ministry of the church is an extension of the incarnation, heaven and earth coming together, is right here in Matthew 16. Jesus' response to St. Peter's confession that Jesus is Christ, the, the, the Messiah, and God, God the Son. Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church. Three things to take note of in that phrase. It's his church. Right? On this rock I will build my church, and Jesus is the speaker. It's his church, and he's the one who builds it up. I will build. But when we think about the church, even though what we see with our eyes is people, the invisible part is far greater. It's his church. He's the one building it. And he uses the humble confession of the most scattery of the apostles, Peter. Think about all the vicissitudes of Peter in his ministry. This is the same Peter in the gospel passage, if you look in the next Bible. Like, 30 seconds later, is trying to convince Christ not to die. And Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. Nevertheless, Jesus fundamentally uses the true confession of himself as the rock on which 
he builds up his church. And there's this wonderful sort of overlap of symbolism in the scriptures because God is called the rock in the Old Testament over and over again. It's one of his sort of uh, special nicknames, especially in Deuteronomy. The New Testament says that Jesus is the rock, 1 Corinthians 10, the rock was Christ. And then this confession is called a rock. So we see that these things kind of build on each other, like God is the rock. And when you confess him truly, you're, you know, like St. Peter does, it's a rock that is like built on the rock that is himself as a participation. And Jesus goes on to say, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Keys, is, and the, so the picture here is doorkeeper. Someone standing, standing at the door saying, yeah, yeah, come on in, come on in. As a cultural footnote, this is the origin of all those never very funny St. Peter at the pearly gates jokes. I actually looked, I've never searched for a joke for a sermon before in my life. And I found out why, because I looked, searched for jokes for this and they were all horrible. So I have no joke. And that's probably a good thing. <laughs> But that's where it comes from. But the, the mistake of the folk instinct that's in that joke is to think about as if this is about the future, like St. Peter in the future, when Jesus is empowering Peter's ministry in the present. Right? The kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus has inaugurated it on earth. It's not about when we die. That's the final piece of it, but not the beginning. It's also not uniquely about St. Peter. Um, recorded two chapters later in Matthew 18, we heard from Matthew 16, Jesus then says to all the apostles in the plural, he says, we don't translate it as y'all, but in Greek it's y'all. Um, y'all have been given the power to bind and loose. Whatever y'all bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever y'all loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It's a power he gives to the ministers of his church, not to Peter singularly. What is this binding and loosing? Well, um, to first century ears, this was a familiar phrase. It was a standard description of the work of the Pharisees and the rabbis and how they treated Torah, right? Did they sort of bind us up with like following Torah or did they, were there strictures that they loosened with a sort of pastoral adaptation? It was about the pastoral application of God's word. That's what binding and loosing meant. It was a standard stock terminology in the first century. So that um, the apostles would have power to bind and loose is unexceptional that all of the rabbis and Pharisees of the day claimed that to be able to do that. The exceptional part of this teaching is that Jesus says, your ministry, you who have the Holy Spirit and are ministering in the triune name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, your ministry of binding and loosing is synced up to heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, it's bound in heaven. That's the surprising part of the passage. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Heaven and earth are connected. The sacramental ministry of the church an extension of that connection which takes place in the incarnation of Jesus. Their ministry is synced up to heaven. It's connected to God's own will and therefore it's of eternal consequence. If a Pharisee said, oh, you've got to keep that rule, that probably almost certainly has no bearing on the, your final destination in, in eternity. But the ministry of Christian ministers, this has an effect. Which ministry? Gospel ministry. When we speak of gospel ministry, it begins with preaching and teaching the gospel, that Christ Jesus has died for our sins and that he's raised for our justification. But the ministry begins with proclamation and then culminates in effecting the incorporation of lost souls into the salvation, the saving life of Christ. Jesus himself actually offers a sort of explanatory commentary on this teaching in John chapter 20, when he says to the apostles, after his resurrection, he says to them, 
Whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Binding and loosing, tied up together. So this ministry of the church happens um, cardinally in baptism. That when an ordinary person, ministering in the name of Christ, in the name of the triune God, pours ordinary water over the head of someone, that ministry on earth is actually synced up to heaven and God himself pours out his Holy Spirit and unites the believer, or in the case of the baptism of children, the children of the, the child of the believer, to Christ in heaven. Heaven and earth are connected in Christian ministry. Baptism, um, but of course that's only once in our lives, but it's also the ministry of absolution. Absolution when um, you make a confession to the ear of a priest, and the priest says, in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I love you. We have a version of absolution in our liturgy, right? When we confess our sins and then I proclaim the absolving words of the gospel. And this definitely is a, an effective prayer. In the same way that, you know, um, when, someone, when you say, I do, you're married, right? The, the words married, those words are effective for our receiving grace. But there's something really especially powerful in making confession to a priest. And again, I'm not seeking to dignify Myself, only this office. It could be any priest. I don't care. It doesn't have to be me. But to hear when a priest says, you are absolved, you really are absolved. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And I, 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 I barely bump into another priest where I don't make confession to him. Because I want to have my conscience clear. And I want to hear the gospel. And I want absolution. So I've made confession many, many, many times in my life. And I, I, I tell you testimonially, about half the time I make a confession and the priest says I absolve you, I can honestly feel in my very like sensation the weight of the sort of burden of sin being falling off my shoulder. It's incredible. I mean, often, you know, I cry a lot when that happens, but, um, but it's an incredible ministry to this ministry of absolution. It's one the early church practiced all the time. It was just the sort of normal part of pastoral care. But then with the corruption of the Middle Ages and um, it sort of fell into some disfavor, and then it's been sort of very um, altered in its form in the Roman Catholic context, and so it's sort of fallen out of disfavor with we Protestants. But it's a ministry that Christ himself gave to his ministers. And it, it's one that I hope, if you don't already avail yourself of it regularly, I hope you do, because it's a blessing. It's a huge gift. The words of the priest are cosmically effective, not because the priest is anything, but because Christ has said it is so. Uh, to this day, in fact, in the ordinal in the BCP, if you go to ordination of a priest, the bishop says to the priest, whosoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven, claiming the words and passing them down. So you might be thinking, um, this is where my mind usually goes when I hear a claim like this, what about the hard case of a wicked priest who sort of is um, binding and loosing unjustly? Right? And this is what we saw in the Middle Ages, right? Like, give a bit of money and get absolution, right? The sort of corruption of the practice. What about that case? It's an important distinction. And here, as I said uh, last week, God is in the details. There's a wonderful detail in this passage in Matthew at the level of grammar that unties the knot. Um, okay, grammar nerding just for like 30 seconds here. And I'm sorry if this is a triggering for like a 10th grade English class. Um, remember how verbs have different... Um, 
tenses, you know, there's past and future and present and perfect. Um, Greek actually has a tense, we well, actually has several tenses that we don't have in English, one of which is present perfect, which means it's something that's happened in the past but exists in the present. So this is the tense that is used here. The most wooden translation would be whatever you bind on earth is been bound in heaven. Which sounds really weird, that's bad English, right? But, um, but whatever you bind on earth is been bound in heaven. The wonderful thing about that grammatical subtlety is it shows it's not just something that's a only in the hands of the minister, connected to a reciprocal relationship to heaven. It's expected that the minister is listening to what's the case in heaven. And God himself, Jesus himself, is always the true judge. And on judgment day, if a minister has judged wickedly, Jesus himself will correct the judgment for binding or for loosing, right? Um, so the confidence is always in Christ the judge, and he will correct um, what is done wickedly in his name. And there's comfort in that. So we see that it's still a mortal ministry, it's still earthly, but it's connected to heaven. Is been loosed, is been bound. Lastly, I want to say that um, rightly do we have a f- hesitation about any installed obstacle between our soul and ourselves. Good Christian instincts to be like, don't put anything between me and God who saves me. That's the right Christian instinct. And as I'm worried, I have a fear that what I'm teaching out of this passage in Matthew 16 might sound like, wait a second, is this trying to put the priest between me and God? And I want to flip the picture around. It's not an obstacle, it's actually a, an additional blessing. When Christ Jesus died on the cross, he paid the ransom for all of us. And as well as doing that, he also then commissioned an entire church and a ministry of Christian ministers in his name. The image that comes to mind is almost like bank tellers, where you can come and draw on that infinite payment of himself for the remedy of, for sin and for forgiveness and the knowledge of forgiveness and the comfort of the gospel. Priests were just bank tellers saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus gave us all this money. Here it is. Marquis to open the door, not to close the door. Occasionally, I think in very, very rare instances, and that's called excommunication, you have to close the door. But that's 1% of gospel ministry. 99% is, come on in the door. So I say to you this morning, come in the door. Remember and claim the promises that are made for you in baptism. Receive the refreshing of his mercy at this holy table that is God's table, his church. He builds it, his table. And if your conscience ever... Um, is panged with the remembrance of sin. Let me testimonially. Sometimes I've been going about my day, I have some interaction, some conversation with Carrie, and then some memory of a, a, a grave sin from 15 years ago comes to mind, which I hadn't thought about in 15 years, and it's like, oh, I did do that. And it's on my conscience again now. You know, it doesn't have to be something committed lately. Well, the next time I bump into a priest, I'm like, oh, can I make a confession? And just to say it before God and his priests, and to hear the priest say, because we're not very good at convincing ourselves, right? Like, yes, yes, I know I'm forgiven, I know I'm forgiven. When someone else hears the gross thing you did, the evil thing you did, and says, God himself forgives you, and I absolve you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's powerful. It's a gift. Not, it's, not a, it's not a placing of um, a barrier. It's an extension 
of his own ministry to us, the sacramental ministry of the church, is an extension of our Lord's own incarnation. We are his body. We are his body. Amen.